<laughs> I love that video and that's why I played it one more time because I love the thought of the impact that Jesus has had. His words have inspired us to literally change professions. His words have, have inspired us to continue to think differently, to process through things differently. Chad is walking through a, a different process because the words of Jesus have been inspiring him. And one of the things he told me is he said, you know, Pastor Brian, he said, the one thing that I cannot escape is he said, I just every day I had interactions with kids and every day I had interactions with all these teachers. And he said, I never realized the impact that my life was making on the lives of these students and on the lives of these teachers. And what God was stirring back inside of him again was this, is that I have a plan and purpose for your life. And the words of Jesus should inspire us to go after the plans and purpose that he has for us. To remind us of the definition of inspired, it's outstanding or brilliant in a way or to a degree suggestive of divine inspiration. To inspire is to influence, to move or guide or to spur on, to infuse, to, to draw forth or bring out. And I believe the words of Jesus are that very simple thing that they draw out of us. They begin to pull out of us. And, and what happens is, is it's infusing into our little DNA to where we begin realizing that there is more to this life than just collecting a paycheck. There's more to this life than just to the simple tasks of life. No, God actually has a plan and purpose for you and me. In this past seven weeks, we have been inspired to think differently to dream differently, to rest differently, to love differently, to submit differently, to bless differently, to serve differently, to pray differently. We've been inspired to be different because the life of Jesus models for us someone who is different. I was talking with someone just before the gathering. They said, you know, Pastor Brian, the past few months and past few series have been pretty hard hitting. Moments where it's like, man, we're kind of just, we're going all in. It's not just the fluff and muff and, you know, make you all feel good type moments, you know. And we can, those moments, I'm not saying they're not, they're not, I'm not saying they're bad, but, but that's not me. <laughs> I'm not one who's just going to get up here and just be like, hey, listen, everything's great. You're getting to heaven and doesn't matter how we get there. Just do whatever you want. No, no, there is actually people whose lives are hanging in the balance because what has happened for too long is the church, in many ways, the people, have lived one way on Sundays and lived one way during the week, and the people of the world are saying, listen, that does not make sense to us. You can't say you're a Christian and live this way throughout the week. I, I, I'm amazed at how many times I will look at someone's Facebook page and on one post it's like, man, look what God has done and blessed in my life. And then the next post is like explicit language and things and I'm just going, what? Like this just doesn't make sense to me. I'm so grateful for God's blessing in my life and what he's done and man, that message really impacted my life. And then the next post is, you know, man, I love the fact that we get to smoke weed now and, and you know, it's just like, come on, like, what is going on here? And so what we're talking about is Jesus inspires you and me to be different. We should be different. Look at your neighbor and say, you're different. You're not supposed to giggle. You're just supposed to say you're different. You're different. 
And the thing I love so much about the life of Christ is this, is that he inspires us and challenges us to be different. His, his story and what he models for us is, is listed across the pages of Scripture. And here we see Jesus teaching and loving and redeeming. And we see him living out 66 books, 27 in the Old Testament, 39 in the, or no, excuse me, 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament that make up the story of God. Where we can learn more and dig in deeper and we can begin to realize that God has a plan and purpose for our lives and we can go after things even when they don't make sense. See, a lot of us would say, well, of course Jesus has inspired us to, to be different. He's, he's Jesus, but not only is he Jesus, he, he literally is the son of God. He left heaven and came to earth so you and I could receive what? So we could receive freedom. Now, has Jesus inspired us to, to seek healing for others? Yes, he, he actually has shown us that you and I will do great things. That you and I will actually can, can look at someone who needs healing their body and can pray over them and say, God, I'm praying that you will heal their bodies. And guess what? It's not us, but it's the Holy Spirit working and moving in that person's lives where people are healed. And so did Jesus heal? Yes. Did Jesus raise people from the dead? Yes. Did Jesus feed over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish? Yes. Did Jesus die and then rise again three days later? Yes. So what created all the buzz? What was the thing that, that made everything happen? What was it that Jesus did that had such a huge impact on, the, on culture and the world around us? What Jesus did is he modeled for you and I someone who was different. Now, being together with family over the holidays, one of the things that you recognize is, is that you all have different things. So we had um, the staff over, we had Pastor Braley and... and um, Aubrey and their kids over. We had Pastor Scott and Alyssa and their kids over to the house for Thanksgiving and my mom was there. And one of the things I realized was as we were sitting there is that all of us have different traditions that we've grown up in. All of us are different in different ways. Um, all of us love different things. And, I, and I'll just a quick plug real quick. Uh, Monahan's Meat Market, uh, the new one here in town. Oh my goodness. They do smoked turkey there. And it was phenomenal. It was the best turkey I've ever had in my life. And you know what? Kasha loved it because she didn't have to get up early in the morning and cook it. It's pre-cooked, so all she had to do was heat it up. And it was to die for. I even watched a YouTube video on how to cut it ahead of time and uh, went in there and like a master cut that bird up. I was so proud of myself. And then I was like trying to get accolades from others because my, my, my love language is words of affirmation. I got a few, not very much, but I did get a few. But man, that, that bird was cut up nice. But as I was sitting there and I was thinking about that, I was just thinking about the holidays and thinking about how in the holidays there's, there's always tons of food, there's tons of desserts, there's tons of good stuff around. Pastor Scott talked about how many of you are still eating it for breakfast, you know, like you've got, you've got leftovers coming out of your ears and and uh, when you eat that much, one of the things that comes to your mind is you think, man, I, I need to do something about maybe your belly, maybe about the amount of food you're eating. We have some good friends of ours, they're pastors down in Tampa, and she kept posting throughout the, the Thanksgiving season all these different ways on how to be healthy for the holidays. And I was like, skip that, you know, I'm, <laughs> give me my apple pie, you know, but 
But it was a little convicting, and, and I heard and uh, read about the story of a fitness center where they were doing this deal um, where they, they offered $1,000 to anyone who could demonstrate that they were stronger than the owner of this gym. And uh, here's how it worked. The, the, the owner would take a lemon, and he would squeeze the lemon until all the juice ran into a glass. And then he would hand the lemon to the, the person who was challenging him, and anyone who could squeeze just one more drop of juice out would actually win the $1,000 prize. And so many people came in, they were all trying, uh, other weightlifters, construction workers, professional sports, all these people came in trying, but nobody could get another drop out of it. And then one day, there was this short, skinny guy um, who came in and he signed up for the contest and, and everyone was kind of laughing at him because it's a short skinny guy. There's no way he's going to be able to do it. So the owner grabs the lemon, he squeezes it all the way and then he hands the wrinkled lemon to this skinny little guy and uh, the crowd's laughter because all these people had kind of gathered around watching from the gym uh, turned into silence as the man clenched his fist around the lemon and six drops fell into the glass. The crowd cheered. The owner of the gym actually paid the winning prize. But as he was paying it, he asked the guy, he said, are you a lumberjack? Uh, the guy's like, no. He's like, are you a weightlifter? Like, you don't look like one, but are you a weightlifter? No, the guy replied. Finally, he just said, well, man, what, what are you? Well, like, what do you do? And the man said, I work for the IRS. <laughs> I work for the IRS. So, so today I want to talk about uh, an encounter that Jesus has with a, a guy who worked for the IRS, and I want to talk about another encounter where there's some strong guys that encounter Jesus. So, so I want to talk about uh, moments where Jesus inspires us through encounters with some strong guys and a guy who works for the IRS. All right. So the beautiful thing about this is it's found in Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and, and what we're going to read about here is an encounter that Jesus has first off with these strong guys, these guys who, who have a plan and, and a purpose. They're, they're looking at how they can bring things about because sometimes what happens, I think, as Christians is sometimes along the way, we, we get caught up with judging people by what we see and we start looking at people and thinking, well, it's, just, it's, it's all based upon what I see. And the actions matter, but, but really it's where the heart is and where are people in their, in their relationship with Christ. Because see, our job is actually to draw people's hearts towards Jesus. Our job is to constantly be drawing people towards Jesus. And what we should always make sure is that our life is a reflection of him. People should be looking at us and going, oh, that person is a lot like Jesus. I mean, they're not perfect like Jesus. They're not 100% like Jesus, but I see attributes in that person who calls themselves a Christian that are like Jesus, or at least what I've heard about who Jesus is. They shouldn't look at us and think, oh, are they loving or not? They should see love coming out of us. Oh, are they generous people? They should see that coming out of us because those attributes are found in Jesus. And Jesus is one of those people who easily, in many moments, could have just come onto the scene and introduced himself and said, yeah, I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, you know, of the most high God, son of God. He could have he come up with this huge uh, way he would introduce himself, but what Jesus would do is he would just 
walk onto the scene and he would allow his life to speak of who he was. And then other people started saying, who is that guy? Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, that's Jesus. He didn't seek out fame. He didn't seek out fortune. He didn't want the biggest fishing crew, though his, you know, he, he could have caught a, a boatload of fish, right? Like Jesus could have had, had that all set up. He, he didn't get people wearing t-shirts that said, what would Jesus do on them? And say, hey, you know, come to all the times I gather together. You guys all show up and make sure you're chanting my name when I come out. He didn't, he didn't want any of that. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus would often withdraw from the crowd. He didn't, he didn't want to always be in the limelight. He didn't turn it into some profit-making thing. He didn't sell pro- prayer cloths or, or sell mud, you know, like miracle mud. He didn't do that, even though he did use mud to heal multiple people. See, what Jesus' mission was real simple was, is Jesus' mis- simple mission was this. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. One simple mission to seek and to save the lost. To seek them, to see them saved. Those who were lost, those who were far from God. And so in this passage here in Luke chapter five, we, we see a moment where Jesus looks right past the actual need of the man to the man's true need. And here's what it reads. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Now, if we know that the man's paralyzed, what would we think the man's need is? To be healed, for his legs to work, for him to be able to walk again. So the man's paralyzed, something's happened in his life to where he's, he's paralyzed, he can no longer walk, he, he's reliant upon other people. So the strong guys are the guys who are carrying this guy in. They set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof And they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So the reason why I call them the strong guys is because they had to bust through the roof of the home to let the guy down and get him into the middle of where Jesus is. These guys were doing whatever they could to actually bring this person to meet Jesus because they knew that if they could get him to Jesus, that things would change. But here's where things begin to take an interesting turn. It says, seeing their faith, he said, so Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Which is interesting because the reason the men brought him to Jesus was not so that his sins would be forgiven. The reason they brought the man to Jesus was because he was paralyzed in his legs. And sometimes what I think happens in is during the holiday season, we start seeing the needs that are around us, and we think that if we can meet that need, then that's how people will encounter Jesus. And I'm not saying that that's not, I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm just saying what Jesus is reminding us about, and what I'm trying to make sure we recognize again, is that we could meet all the needs around us. People could be like, man, we could, we could be the most generous people. We could, we could fill every stocking back there. We could, we could fill every angel tree thing. We could go serve down, um, you know, at the uh, mission. We could, we could be a part of Share the Warmth. All these things that we could be a part of. But what people really need and what Jesus recognized, this man doesn't need a healing in his legs. He needs a healing in his heart. 
It's not about the healing in his legs. It's about the healing in his heart. And so that's what Jesus speaks to. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins have been forgiven or for you to say get up and walk. And Jesus has a very good point, does he not? Now think about this. If Jesus is saying to you, what is easier, to say to your friend at work, your sins are forgiven, or the cancer is gone from your body? What's easier? Your sins are forgiven. Because when I look at someone and say, your cancer is gone, like, that, like, that, like that's a, like I, I can't do that. And what Jesus is reminding the Pharisees and the scribes and he's reminding us about again today is this, is he's saying, listen, it's easier for you to share about what I've done because I've already paid the price. See, we don't question whether God has healed, or I mean, we don't question whether God has saved someone, can set someone free from sin, but a lot of times we question whether it's his timing and the healing. I don't question whether God can heal somebody. I believe that all day long. But sometimes I'm like, is this the time? Because I've prayed for a lot of people and they haven't been healed right in that moment. And some of you, maybe that's why you struggle in your relationship with God because in the past you've prayed for things and it's like, man, that thing didn't happen in the moment how I thought it was going to. And can I just say, that has not changed who God is. God's character is one who he still loves, he still cares, and he still is meeting the needs of his people. But what Jesus is reminding us about in this moment is he's saying, listen, you can do all the good things. You, 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 could, you could heal the sick, you could, but which, which one's easier? Is it actually easier to say your sins have been forgiven or to actually say get up and walk? But then I love what Jesus does. He says, but just so you know, <laughs> uh, so that you may know that the Son of Man actually has the authority to do this on earth and to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic man, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. The scriptures tell us this, immediately he got up. Hallelujah. Immediately. Immediately. Now think about that. If immediately he got up and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God, what was the real part of the story? Was it the fact that he actually had his legs healed? Is that the miracle of the story? No. The miracle of the story is, is that his sins were forgiven. May we never forget during this Christmas season that is coming upon us, may we never forget the real reason for the season. It's not about just generosity. It's not about acts of goodwill. It's not about Christmas presents under a tree. It's not about any of that stuff. The real reason for the season is forgiveness. It's because when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, that made forgiveness possible for you and me. And that changes everything. You see, our biggest need is forgiveness, not answer to prayer. Let that sink in for a minute. Your biggest need is not an answer to prayer, healing in your body, new job, provision, healing of a relationship. Those things we do pray for, but your biggest need, 
Your neighbor's biggest need, your family member's biggest need, your co-worker's biggest need is not the answers to prayer. It is actually forgiveness. And what Jesus is reminding us in this is that so many times we get so focused on the circumstances and on the needs and on what has to happen in the moment that we forget what really matters. We forget that forgiveness of sin is actually something that is easily granted and given. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. Listen, people's forgiveness is not based upon what you do. That's beautiful. Jesus already paid the price so that others could receive forgiveness. You can walk in authority with that. So think about this for a minute. Sick people who die but have a relationship with Jesus will be in heaven one day. Poor people who die and have a relationship with Jesus will be in heaven one day. But healthy people who die and don't have a relationship with Jesus will be in hell. And rich people who die and don't have a relationship with Jesus will be in hell. The most important thing you and I could ever give to anyone else is not riches, is not health, is not an answer to prayer. It's forgiveness. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. But we so many times are missing out. I love how uh, Howard Hendricks, he said this. He said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. You know why I think Christians are stuttering? It's because we think it's about providing. It's about acts of justice. It's about all these other things. And it's like, so we stutter because we go, uh, 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 is that, is, is it this? Is it, is it, is it, do I, is it, is it, is it if I'll do a, a, a stocking, then that will somehow, or, or if I, if I do an angel tree, well that, well, uh, I'm not saying those things are, are bad. No, they are good. But what our generation is screaming for is not for you and I to be the most generous and the most giving. They're screaming for forgiveness. And you and I have got to make sure that we don't stutter in our answer. That we actually respond with the authority that Christ has actually given us. People are looking for Jesus' love. They're looking for forgiveness. And Jesus brought about true forgiveness. And we see that in this first encounter. The second encounter is with someone who's from the IRS. It's found in Luke chapter 19. So you can flip over there to Luke chapter 19. And it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jesus is going about his day. He's passing through. It says, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was rich. So we know that just based on this, he's, He's the chief, he's the head IRS guy for the Roman government, and he's wealthy. He's done very well. Zacchaeus was actually trying to see Jesus and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Okay, so now we know a little bit about Zacchaeus. He's a short guy. So he's a short guy who's trying to see Jesus, but there's always crowds of people around Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. 
for he was about to pass through that way. It says this, when Jesus saw him, when Jesus saw him, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay in your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him gladly. Now see, Zacchaeus was shocked that someone of Jesus' stature, someone of Jesus' position, would even come into his home. He was blown away that Jesus would hang out with the chief tax collector who was rich. But then all of a sudden the religious leaders, those who thought they had it all together, when they see this happening, they all begin to grumble and say, he has actually gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, someone who's broken, someone who's messed up, someone who's cheated us. Maybe some of them had been cheated by Zacchaeus. I mean, the fact, and scholars talk about this, the fact that Zacchaeus actually had much wealth implies that probably Zacchaeus was probably skimming off the top. He was probably taking a little bit more than what he was supposed to, so if the tax was 5% that he was supposed to give and that was supposed to go to, to, to Rome, then maybe he was taking 8%, or maybe he was charging the people 10%. We don't know, but, but we know that he was wealthy and that this person was someone who was known as a sinner. But I love this. It says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And then it says this, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. What Jesus was setting the stage for was he was saying, listen, the most important thing that this man needs is this man doesn't need more riches, he doesn't need healing. He needs forgiveness. And the reason why I came is to seek and to save that which is lost. He's once again reminding us, listen, the reason why I'm here, the reason that you and I exist, the reason why people are going after things that God's called them to is because there are people who are lost and dying around this world who do not know who Jesus is. So what do we do? What, what, what do we do in the midst of this? So Pastor Brian, this is great. I'm inspired by what Jesus has done. Yes, I'm inspired to seek and to save the lost. But how does that actually apply into my life? Four things that Jesus inspires us to. Four things that Jesus inspires us. The first is this, is Jesus inspires us to engage the lost. To engage the lost. You and I are challenged to engage the lost, to go after people because of what? Because their greatest need is not an answer to prayer. Their greatest need is forgiveness. And the way that people receive forgiveness is through you and I introducing them to Jesus. You and I need to engage the lost. The lost is looking for hope. The lost is looking for answers, and they're found in Christ. I love how the Apostle Paul shares it with us. He says this. He says, to the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for all for the sake of the gospel. What Paul is reminding us is, he said, listen, I, I, I do whatever I have to do to win the lost. Now he's not saying he sins. He's saying, listen, I'll do whatever it takes. If it means me going without, that's fine. 
And Paul actually lives it out in his life. We know that Paul is shipwrecked. We know he's beaten many times within an inch of his life. I mean, like all these different things that happen to Paul in his life. He's in prison, falsely imprisoned. All these things happen. But he says, listen, if the gospel, if the good news, if people receive forgiveness, if that happens through my life, then it's all worth it. So I become weak if I can reach the weak. You see, Jesus always sees the true need in people's lives. And I'm challenging us to see the same. The first encounter we read about was an encounter where Jesus saw the true need of the man was not for his legs to be healed. The true need of the man was for salvation. When Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he knows Zacchaeus doesn't need just Jesus hanging out with him. Zacchaeus needs salvation to come to his home. Jesus is looking for people who are sinners. He's looking for people who are lost. He's looking for people who need a simple encounter with him. You and I are being challenged to engage the lost. Paul Harvey says it this way. He says, too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but keepers of aquariums. Too many Christians are no longer fishers of men, but actually keepers of aquariums. Jesus inspires us to engage the lost. The second thing Jesus inspires us to do is to help those who are paralyzed by sin. Can I tell you that sin does paralyze? Listen, I mean, you've met people, man. They come in there broken, lost people, don't have it all together. I mean, like, there's stuff that's just, and it's like, man, I don't have it all together. Yeah, you and I don't have it all together. But, man, there are some people who come in, and they are paralyzed by sin. They have found themselves in the deepest, darkest places that they thought they never would ever be. And yet they're trapped. I talk to uh, men and, and, and talk to couples all the time who are struggling in marriages and they go, I never thought I would ever become this person, but now I am and now I don't know what to do. I have this addiction in my life and it feels like it's controlling me. I don't know what to do. I, I've, I've cheated on my spouse. These moments have happened. I don't know what else to do. And they literally become paralyzed by sin. And the enemy comes in those moments and here's what the enemy says. The enemy says, you are your sin and just keeps feeding that into their minds, and it paralyzes them. But what you and I have to do is we have to remind people that they can be set free from sin, that they no longer have to be paralyzed by sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. We, we recognize that. It says that the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Listen, many times sin paralyzes us. It keeps us from doing the very things that we want to do. But there is freedom that is found in Christ. And the freedom comes when you and I engage the lost and when we help those who are paralyzed by sin. We have the answer. It's Jesus. People need healing in their hearts and in their lives. They need freedom from sin. You and I have the answer. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, I understand that. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, me, each and every one of us. And when you look at someone who's paralyzed by sin, and you say, listen, I've been right where you've been. I've been paralyzed by sin before. 
but there's freedom that is found in Christ. And when you share that, hope begins to rise because Jesus inspires us to not only engage the lost, not only to help those who are paralyzed by sin, but also to share our life with others. See, you have a story. You have a story. You have a life that's been changed by Christ. And our biggest platform should not be the things we stand against. Our biggest platform should be the story we've experienced. No one can take that from you. No one can argue that from you. Because if your life has been changed by Christ, no one can take that. No one can look at me and say, my life hasn't been changed by Christ. That's my story. That, that is who I am. I've experienced it. You can't tell me that. But someone can argue with me all day long about all these other things. I don't care about that. I care about what Christ has done in my life. And I'm telling you, he's changed my life. He can change your life. And if we'll remind people about that, what will happen is, is the life will change will happen. I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance to clap. Clap, there you go. Sometimes I have to tell myself, breathe, Henley, breathe. See, God has placed your story in the midst of other people's stories. Romans 10, 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone does what? Tells them. Share your story. Share your story. Share your life with others who are around. Share what God's done in your life. Share about what a relationship with Jesus has done. It's not perfect, but it is been life-changing. Share it. And the fourth is this, is once you've shared your life with others, once you've helped others who have been paralyzed by sin, once you've engaged the lost, then the, the real thing that you need to do is just bring people to Jesus. It's like I'm gonna engage the lost, I'm gonna help them, those who are paralyzed. I mean, sometimes I'm gonna have to pick them up, sometimes I'm gonna have to carry them to get them to Jesus. Sometimes it's gonna take a little bit of work. Sometimes it's gonna take an investment. Sometimes I'm going to feel like I'm not good enough like Zacchaeus. No way Jesus would ever hang out with me. No way Jesus would ever come into my home. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. Zacchaeus was paralyzed by sin. He didn't even recognize it. He didn't think Jesus would have anything to do with him. But here's the beauty of the story is that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus at the same time Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. See, one encounter with God gives hope to the hopeless. One encounter with God brings restoration to the broken. One encounter with God can bring healing to the hurting. It isn't complex. It doesn't need to be elaborate. A simple word, a gentle action, an honest story, a humble prayer has the ability to lead people to an encounter with God that changes everything. One encounter with Jesus can change everything. And see what happens is, is that it can take one ordinary pebble, think about this, that thrown on a lake causes a ripple effect. One encounter with Jesus can have a ripple effect across an entire person's life, their family, their entire generation, everyone around them through one simple encounter with Jesus. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that it only takes one encounter to change everything. One encounter with Jesus changes everything. Paul says this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. One encounter with Jesus changes an old man into a new man. One encounter with Jesus causes someone to literally begin to think differently, act differently. One encounter with Jesus. That's what happened in your life, is it not? Amen. 
You see, one encounter with Jesus changes everything. I know you hear this all the time from me, but I'm just telling you, just one encounter with Jesus can change everything. Engage the lost. Help those who are paralyzed by sin. Help them out. Begin to share your story with them. Share what God has done in your life. Share with them and then bring them to Jesus. Be like, listen, listen, I, I can pray with you right here in our workplace. Right here at the water cooler. Right here sitting in a restaurant. Right here at Walmart. Right here, wherever it may be, you can bring people to Jesus. Listen, I didn't say bring them to church. I said bring them to Jesus. You know what's great is when you've already shared your story, that person has accepted Jesus and they come to church and they sit next to you and they go, I did not realize I could experience what I've experienced today. People come in here and say, man, I was crying during worship. I don't even know what's going on. Like, I just, I just love it. I love being a part of this. Do you remember that moment? Or has it been so far long ago that you gave your life to Christ that's like that you've forgotten that first love? Could it be that it's, we, we haven't led anyone to the Lord in such a long time that we forget about what it's like to first come to know who Jesus is? When I see someone encounter Jesus for the first time, it's like this light bulb magical moment and it is way better than anything that Disney or any movie, Hallmark movie, could try to portray out there that happens during Christmas. No, 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 one encounter with Jesus changes everything. And when that encounter happens, it changes families, it changes workplaces, it changes communities because one encounter with Jesus changes everything. See, Jesus came and he hung out with the lost. He ate dinner with the lost. And because of the influence of Jesus and his story, what happened is as others' lives were changed. Zacchaeus, just through one encounter with Jesus, says, I give half of all my possessions to the poor, and anyone that I've robbed, I'll give four times as much back. Through one simple encounter with Jesus. No one could have talked Zacchaeus into doing that. It was simply Zacchaeus because he encountered Jesus having his life completely changed. But Jesus says it best in Matthew chapter 9. He said it to his disciples. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers into his harvest. When I think of what Chad is feeling God calling him to do, I think of a man who feels like God is calling him to be an influence into that school, into those students. He specifically mentioned the students and the teachers. Why? Because God has a calling on his life and he's like, I can't shake it. I will be the laborer for that moment. The Lord of the harvest. See, the biggest need that we see around us, the biggest need is forgiveness, not answers to prayer. The biggest need that you and I will ever encounter, the biggest need that would ever happen around us is, is, is forgiveness. This Christmas season, let's share our story. This Christmas season, let's engage the lost. This season, let's help those who have been paralyzed by sin. 
This season, let's share our life with others. This season, let's bring people to Jesus. And if we'll do that, what will happen is, is the greatest need that people have in their life, which is forgiveness, will be met because they'll encounter Jesus. And one simple encounter with Jesus will change everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you that you meet with us in places just like this. A building, God, that many would call the church, but the church is the people And so, Father, I just ask that today, God, you would meet with us here in this place, in this time, God, even as the songs that we were singing earlier, God, that that you are here in this place. Father, I pray that you would continue, God, to speak to our hearts and our lives, that, that today, God, you would meet with us here in these moments and in this time. And God, I ask that, that today, God, we would take up the challenge of engaging the lost, that we would take up the challenge of helping those who have been paralyzed by sin. God, that we would take up the challenge of living our lives with others. God, God, that we would take up the challenge of bringing people to you. Jesus, you inspire us to action. May we never be the same. May we allow change to take place in our hearts and our lives. So God, I'm asking that in these next few moments, that you would stir our hearts. Stir our hearts for what stirs yours, God. Stir our hearts, God, for what stirs your heart. Maybe today you're in this room and you're thinking about the Christmas season and all that's coming and in many ways we think, man, if I could give more, if I could be more generous, if I could serve more, all these different things. But literally, you have something that God has given you. It's forgiveness. It's freedom from sin. It's a story of life change. And my prayer is today that you would be willing to share your story. So today, I'm going to ask you to consider that maybe the greatest gift you could bring this Christmas season would be you sharing your story with just one. Because one encounter with Jesus can change everything. So if today, if you're willing to this next month, the month of December, to share your story just one time. Now it'd be great if you'd share it more than once, but just just one time, you're just today, I'm just asking you to just take one step, that's fine, just one step today. You'd say, you know what? I'm going to share my story of life change with one other person in the month of December. If that's you, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. So Father, across this room, you see individuals who are standing to their feet. And they're saying, I'm willing to share my story with one person about what you've done in my life. Just one simple story, one moment. Father, that may be with a family member, that may be with a coworker, that may be with a stranger. God, it may be with someone around us, but God, I know this, that one simple encounter with you can change everything. So God, I pray for each and every person that's standing in their feet right now. And I know, God, that there are some who are sitting there and they're 
contemplating. They're saying, man, I don't want to just stand. I don't want to just do this just to say that I'm standing. No, God, they're, they're wrestling through it right now. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just encourage them, encourage them in their heart right now. Allow them, God, to see, God, that their story matters. Just one simple story of how you've changed their life. Father, today, God, for every person that's standing, and God, maybe those who are trying to process through even right now, God, I pray, God, that you would give them the strength they need to share their story. God, I pray that they would truly share about your forgiveness and what you've done in their life and how you've changed them, God. I pray, God, that from this day forward, God, they would know and recognize, God, that their story, the story that you've given them, the gospel, the good news, the story of how their life has been forgiven is a story that no one can take from them. So God, I pray that they will share it boldly. I pray, God, that they'll share it with a heart of compassion as well. Not a, not a prideful heart, no. God, a, a heart of compassion, a heart of, of, of reaching those who are lost as they engage them. And God, we thank you that one simple encounter with you can change everything. So we pray, God, that that moment would happen as people share their story and as people encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.